and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Q. If you've been coming here for 50, 60, 70 years, or you're more of a recent addition, you are very welcome. Um, This morning, we are going to have a bit of fun. We're going to explore a theme that's been on my mind a little bit, and I want to make it a bit interactive so that it draws some things out of you and isn't just me dolloping ideas on you all morning. You'll notice you've got oranges on your table. Feel free to snack away. Uh, You also have some little circular pads and some pens on your table, which will be part of our interaction later. And we have a gift for you later. I know, right? So, lots to look forward to. Now, here at Q, we are here to explore life. And as the song said, we live in a beautiful, messed up world. There are parts of life that are absolutely wonderful. There are parts of life we have no idea why it happens. And the reason we're called Q is because we are on a quest to ask some questions, explore some of that stuff, um, so that we can live life more fully. Are you all with me? Excellent. That might require something of us. That might require us to make some changes. Last week we talked about our New Year's resolutions and how actually if you want something new, that might require you to step into something new, let go of something old. So, today we are going to explore a metaphor that has been on my mind because There are some things in life that you can just define with a phrase, and there are other things that you kind of need metaphors, symbols, and pictures, because they're just, they're not so tangible. You can't just set them in concrete. So I want to explore one of those metaphors today, which is this phrase, the world is your oyster. Someone said to me recently, the world is your oyster, and I thought, what does that mean? Is the world my oyster? Why is the world my oyster? So that's going to be our starting point today to explore why is the world my oyster. Let's have a little look at this video to get us started. Okay, the world is your oyster. I wonder what you think that means. What does that mean to you? Now, last week, Kev introduced us to a concept called Shisa Kanko. Can anybody say Shisa Kanko? It's quite tricky on the tongue. Uh, This is an example of Shisa Kanko. It's called pointing and calling, and they use it as a safety procedure in Japanese trains um, and tra- the train system. And the idea is it minimizes accidents because things that are often unconscious habits, they literally point things out when there is a, a potential uh, danger or just a general running of everything. They'll point things out, and that will bring it into their consciousness. For example, they might say, when a driver approaches a signal, instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, the signal's green, I'll go through, they'll say, the signal is green. 
but as Kev said, in Japanese. Um, that brings things into their conscious awareness. I wonder how many things we have in life that are actually subconscious things that we just go on autopilot, that actually if we used some shisakanko and we actually pointed them out, that might help us develop and grow because we'd be more aware actually of what we're like, what's going on around us. By the way, that doesn't mean that you can do that to other people all the time, like, you're an idiot, you're lazy, I don't like you. You're... I would start with yourself. Okay. Um, some of the examples that this might help us with is, for example, for me, I might be like, I am trying to impress people with my achievements because actually I'm afraid they won't accept me as I am. You might be... <laughs> Too right, she said. It might be that you're avoiding things by um, scrolling through Instagram, which is an example Kev gave last week. It might be that rather than thinking about uh, things that have happened in your past, you just want to eat and drink instead and bury it. There's all kinds of things that we do as autopilot that actually, if we pointed them out, would be helpful. Now, the reason I've said that is because this morning we have these post-it notes on our table, and I want to use them as a way of interacting with what I'm talking about so that it doesn't just become a thought, but it becomes actually a process of you being involved as well. So our first point it and call it poster is, what do you think the world is your oyster means? Don't think about it too long. Just the first thing that comes to you. What does the world is your oyster mean? What does that evoke in you? If you don't understand it at all and I have no idea, have a guess. But I'm going to give you one minute. Scribble down your first thought. Now, you can either stick it on your table. If you're feeling brave, you can come and stick it up on the black wall up here. But I'm going to give you literally 60 seconds. What does the world is your oyster mean? Let's have a look at what we got. You can do anything... You have access to the cool stuff, but you've got to go out and get it. Interesting. Looking for all opportunities ahead of you. Opportunities. You can decide your fate. No limits. Go and engage with the world. You are free to choose what you want to do. Life is full of opportunities for you to access. Okay, now the commonly accepted meaning of the world is your oyster is the world is full of opportunities and possibilities. That's what Google says anyway. Like a pearl waiting to be found in an oyster. So examples of the world is your oyster might be, if you learn a language, then the world is your oyster. Or the kids have grown up and left home, the world is your oyster. You're young, the world is your oyster. Or you're retired, the world is your oyster. Do you think that the world is your oyster? Is life full of opportunities and possibilities or do you see the limitations? Because there are a few things that I think might be obstacles for us seeing the world as our oyster. Do you see a limitation through lack of resources? That could be one. I've not got the money, I've not got connections, I've not got confidence, I've not got the education or the intelligence. Somehow I haven't got what I need. There's a limitation that you see. Do we focus on our fear of failure? You might think, yeah, well, there's loads of opportunities, but I've I've tried before and it didn't really work, so actually your fear of failure is an obstacle. You focus on your fear of failure. Because actually, possibility and opportunity are great, but they kind of imply risk as well, don't they? That actually something that's an opportunity could be something that you can't quite get to grips with. Are we blinded by a limited perspective? Now, I live in Clifton, 
which for those of you who are listening online and aren't familiar with the geography of York, is a little council estate on the edge of York. Now, we did some pro uh, projects there with some teenagers a few years ago. And I was speaking to a group of them one day, and I said to them, have you ever thought that one day you might live somewhere outside of Clifton? And they said, oh, no, I could never live in Acombe. <laughs> for those of you who don't understand the geography of York, Acombe is pretty much next to Clifton. So sometimes we are blinded by a limited perspective because we just don't know the opportunities that are there. Is the world our oyster? Well, a phrase that many of us have grown up with comes from a letter written to a church in Corinth about 2,000 years ago, which is just next to Athens, I believe. And the writer says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. Hands up if you've heard that before. We've all heard that probably growing up in church or being in church for a while. Now, I've thought of that always as kind of like, well, we live by faith, but people that don't kind of believe, they just live by sight or... We live by faith and not by sight. Something struck me this week. Maybe there's another way of interpreting it. You can exist in life by sight. I don't know if you notice the three limitations I say. We see a limitation through lack of resources. We focus on a fear of failure or we are blinded by a limited perspective. If you go through life living by sight, I think you can exist in that sense. But I think if we really want to live, it requires faith. Living by sight means we limit our worldview and our outlook to what is known, familiar, and understood. But living by faith means we understand that there is more to see than meets our eye. There are possibilities, opportunities, and realities that are beyond our understanding, and there is more to life than we currently know. So, maybe a key to seeing the world as our oyster is to live by faith and not just exist by sight. Are you with me? Excellent. Now, I saw a brilliant meme this week, and Beethoven is a great example of this. Never let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do. Just look at Beethoven. Everyone told him he would never be a musician because he was deaf, but did he listen? So, I want to do a point it and call it again on your pearl. If the world is your oyster, it's because... There is a pearl out there that we might be looking for. Last week, we talked about New Year's resolutions, a new you, some newness coming into your life. So, I want you to put it down on paper. What is your pearl that you are looking for in life? Now, Joel dropped in the idea last week that it might not be a specific thing. It might be a theme. It might be an idea like friendship, or I want to develop confidence, or I want to develop honesty, or authenticity, or more open mind, or bravery. Or it could be a specific thing like, I want to meet my life partner or I want my kids to have this opportunity. Whatever your pearl is, I'm going to give you a minute, get it down on paper, define it. If you want to pop it up here, you can. It might eventually end up on the floor, but that's okay. Or you can pop it on your table. But you've got one minute. What is your pearl that you want to find this year? Okay, do you know where the original meaning of the world is your oyster comes from? It comes from William Shakespeare. There are all kinds of phrases that come from Shakespeare's plays. And uh, fascinatingly, the original meaning is quite different from actually what we understand it to mean today. But I think there might be something we can explore within it that might help us see another way that the world is our oyster. So let's watch this video. Just a uh, trigger warning. Uh, it's a bit kiddie, so I'm not being patronizing. I just thought it worked quite well to understand it. So here's Shakespeare. 
So the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. It's quite a different meaning, isn't it, from the original? Um, so it's clear that the original metaphor of the world being our oyster had forceful or violent connotations. As in, if you don't give me the money, I will have no alternative than to use violence to get it. I will get what I want by force. Now, the, obviously the metaphor is interesting because it takes some force to open an oyster, which you will find out soon. Now, is the world my oyster because life requires force to get what I want? I, I'm not just going to wait for opportunities to come my way. I'm going to go out and get them. Just, I just want to get your perspective for a second. Do you think that that is a Christian or biblical worldview? Well, Jesus is quoted in Matthew 10 as saying, Do not think that I have come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. He also said in Matthew 11, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. Is there an element of the world being our oyster that actually requires us to be active and forceful and not just passive? Now, um, Joel and I were talking about the difference in diverse personalities earlier and how certain personalities, the world... They're looking for the world to come to them. And it seems to work somehow. Other people wouldn't want to live like that. They want to go out and get things. Now, just as a little show of hands to get an idea, hands up if you think you're a go-out-and-getter person. Hands up if you think you're a I-just-want-to-wait-for-the-opportunities-to-come person. Hands up if you're not sure. Hands up if you hate it when people ask you to put their hands up. <laughs> you're welcome. Hello. Okay. Now, uh, a little twist on this. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he's one of the early Christian leaders, he writes to a group of Christians and he says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. When I think of strongholds, I think of things that have a stronghold in your life, which might be habits or thoughts or addictions or personality traits, but anything that has a, a stronghold over you. And he says this phrase, which I think is fascinating. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I wonder what you think that means, that you take captive a thought and make it obedient to Christ. I was thinking through it this week. I think there is a battle for our thoughts and for our mind. Now, I was brought up with the idea that that battle was some kind of heavenly cosmic one between almost like a Luke Skywalker and a Darth Vader and there's like Jesus and the devil and they're like fighting over your head. Um, I don't see it that way anymore. Um, but what I can see very obviously in society is that we can each be taken captive by our thoughts or we can take our thoughts captive. Can you recognize moments in your life where your thoughts are taking you captive? And do you think it's possible that you could take your thoughts captive? I think it's an interesting one in society at the moment because I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like in society, what I think and feel has been elevated to a point where it feels like it's the most celebrated, important thing going. And actually, if I feel something or I think something, then, then that's true. 
I wonder if that is true. I wonder actually if sometimes when a thought comes to mind, I need to take that captive. Now, when you take something captive, it serves you rather than you serving it. If you're in a war situation and you take someone captive, they are no longer a threat. Actually, they can start to work for you rather than you working for them. Do you think that could be the case for our thoughts? That the thoughts we maybe struggle with that take us captive and we feel powerless to, there is a way that we can actually use them so that they start to work for us. So how do we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? That's quite a, can feel like quite a jargony Bible phrase. Well, we've spoken a lot over recent years about what we call the lie of separation. And the reason I feel like that's a really important part of our culture here is it's the common belief that we are separate from some divine being, that there's somehow a big separation and there's God and there's us or whatever, however you want to frame it, that there's this big separation. And we've called it the lie of separation. Now, an understanding that we've embraced here at Q is the universal Christ. Now, what that means is it's the understanding that the spirit of God or the spirit that created everything. Sometimes God can be a triggering word for you, and if it is, I completely get it. But it's the idea that the power that sustains and is in everything is not separate from any of us, that it it connects us all and that we are all one. I wonder if that mindset is something that we could make our thoughts obedient to. For example, if I'm comparing myself to you and thinking, oh, I'm just so awful and you're so brilliant. What if I process that? through the understanding that all are one in Christ, then there isn't that sense of us and them, that it's like actually things, the world becomes your oyster in a new way because actually there is opportunity in learning from somebody else or in seeing that actually we're all connected and we are all one. Now, we didn't just pull this idea out of the air because it sounded good or felt good. In Ephesians 4, it says, There is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, that phrase, who is above all, can seem like, well, there is separation if God's above and we're below and there's this. The actual word is almost like above as in it's superimposed on. That actually, if you see the divine, there's not someone who's above in the sky somewhere, sitting on the clouds, but they are over everybody. They're superimposed and flowing through and in and out and on. And there is no separation. And there's a truth about that that I think resonates because... When you look around the room, Joel used this phrase a while ago, and it's brilliant. Ye are gods. If you see each, of, each person as God in flesh, each person as the Christ, you can have a very different worldview. So maybe the world is my oyster because it requires some determined force to take thoughts captive that aren't rooted and in an acceptance that we are one with God. Now, if we want that treasure, that pearl of a healthy mind, then rather than letting thoughts take us captive, we need to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to that idea. The, uh, the understanding that we are all one with God. Okay, so that's our original meaning from Shakespeare. So, how do oysters actually make pearls? Now, I don't know if you remember, we've, we've covered this a little bit in the past, but it's fascinating when you look into it that actually there's new discoveries happening all the time around this. Um, and I think there's a powerful metaphor for us to look at in the process of how oysters actually make pearls. So let's have a little look at this video. Okay, so that is the process that is commonly thought now of how pearls are made. Now, I love the 
<coughs> Excuse me. I love the idea that the process of something precious being formed starts with an uninvited irritant or a wound or something that just got under your skin. <laughs> How many of you this week have experienced an uninvited irritant, a wound, or something that just got under your skin? Now, a guy called Surya Das, who... Sometimes people change their names, and it's funny to see what their original names are. I think he, he discovered Buddhism and changed his name to Surya Das, but I think he's called, like, Norman or something like that. Um, but anyway, he had a great phrase. He said, the pearl principle is this. No inner irritation, no pearl. No inner irritation, no pearl. Now, um, last week, Kev referred to a Bible passage from James about considering it pure joy when you face the trials of life. Has anyone faced trials of life this week and went, woohoo? Well, the message translation has a cool phrase in this. It says this, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. I love that phrase. Don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Can you see the metaphor? There's another corker in a book written to the church in Rome. It says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Um, and it says, because suffering produces perseverance. I think we can all understand how that works. When things are hard, you persevere. And then says, perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And this doesn't disappoint us because God has put love in our hearts. Now, I think this process is actually a really helpful one to help us have a bit of a woohoo when tests and challenges come. Because you, if you understand the process, you can then see why it actually is beneficial. Joel was saying last week, a lot of people at this time of year go to the gym. Now, if you think of going to the gym and actually doing the work, not just going to the gym and having a coffee, but actually putting the graft in. You are, you are voluntarily putting yourself through some kind of suffering, aren't you? You're, you're trying to exert yourself. And if you stick with that, then actually it will produce a character and it will produce hope. Because when something difficult comes the next time, you'll be like, well, I've, I've been through suffering before and I persevered. And actually, I came out the other side. What happens if you don't persevere? Well, what happens is you, if you don't persevere every time something is difficult, then the next time something difficult comes around, you don't have hope because you don't have the previous experience of persevering and developing the character that actually forms that hope. Does that make sense? So I think there's a helpful application in there. Perseverance is really beneficial. And if you feel like, well... I just haven't persevered in life, and so I'm hopeless, aren't I? Every day is a new day. Every day is a new chance for you actually to say, okay, if I can persevere here and just put in this little micro habit of a perseverance, then that is going to get some momentum going to produce some hope in my life. So the pearl is made because the irritant brings something out of the oyster that becomes something precious. It said in that um, message, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. I think what's beautiful about how the pearl is produced is that it starts with a wound or some kind of irritant. 
And it then brings out of the pearl, actually, the goodness that is there and the toughness that is there. And it's a, it's a weird process because it's tough, but it's also gentle. This feels like a, like a biological detergent advert. Um, it's, in creating the pearl, it takes a combination of gentleness and toughness. There's a bit in that verse where it says, let it do its work in you so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And in that rejoice in our sufferings, it says, the hope and this process doesn't disappoint you because God has put love in your heart. I think sometimes we're waiting in life for love to come to us rather than actually believing that we already have everything we need within us to deal with the irritant that is in our life. Now, we're going to do some pointing and calling application, but not, uh, not in the way you might think. I don't want you to write the name of people you find irritating on a post-it note. That is not what we're going to do this morning, but we have a gift for you because I want to give you something to take away. Uh, if I've got any beautiful assistants that want to hand these out for me. Kev. Um, thank you to our helpers who have put these in. We are giving you out oysters this morning. Thank you. Um, now, please don't open them now. They may be a little bit stinky. But each of these oysters will have a pearl inside it. And as you open them up this week, you might notice that it might take some force to get in there. You might also notice that the process might not be completely pleasant. It might be a little bit stinky and messy. But inside each of these oysters, there should be a pearl. Now, as you engage in this this week, I want it to be a little um, symbolic process for you. Uh, and I want you to consider, what are those irritants in life? What are those things that get under your skin? And as you're taking that little pearl out, pop it somewhere. Now, um, you might want to make a piece of jewelry out of it. You might just want to put it on your sideboard in a bowl or stick it on your fridge. But I would challenge you, pop it somewhere as a reminder that actually the irritants in your life, the things that get under your skin, the wounds of life can become something beautiful if we're willing to go through a process of engaging with the love that is already within us, with that perseverance that we know that we have. Has everybody got a pearl? Has anybody ever seen that video, by the way, of Oprah? There's a um, Oprah's chat show. She once brought a whole load of gift boxes out for everybody. And she said, don't open them yet. Don't open them. And then when everybody had a gift box, she said, open the boxes. And they all opened them up. And there was a set of car keys. And she's like, you get a car. You get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. Weirdly, that's come up twice this week. And I, I have no idea why. It's just quite funny. But you get an oyster. You get an oyster. You get an oyster. So, uh, yeah, this is your little application to take home, to engage with, and just, just consider the things that have come this morning about the pearl. Okay, I want to move on to our last section. This actually is something that came up last week. You know, last week we showed a video of Jim Carrey. Um, he's had quite an evolution and a journey over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and what was interesting this week is uh, he mentioned pearls and how actually... Pearls are, are kind of like our personalities, and there's an interesting metaphor there. Um, but I, I had that buzzing around my head. I had this idea of the, the world is your oyster in my head. And then I went home, um, and I've taken on a new saxophone student recently. 
Um, and I didn't think I knew him, but when he turned up at our house, I'm thinking, I know you from somewhere. And it turns out that his daughter used to dance at the dance academy here. And you might remember her. She, um, she is a black girl with special needs, and she used to do ballet. And she was, she was absolutely brilliant. She was in part of all of the different shows. And her name is Pearl. And I was like, this is weird. These things are coming at me from all angles. Um, okay. Let's have a little look at this. I've edited the clip down a little bit just to get the bit, but I think it introduces another concept that I want us just to close with. So Jim Carrey said this. He said, the pearl is the personality that you build around yourself as a protection against the thought, if they ever find out that I'm worthless, if they ever find out that I'm not enough, I'll be destroyed. Now, Jim Carrey proposed this idea that the world is his oyster because our personalities are like the pearls that we build around some kind of wound that has happened in our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing about the pearls of our personalities. They can be precious and attractive and impressive. And we often admire the pearls of people's personalities. But what Jim Carrey also pointed out is that that character and that personality that many people saw as virtuous and admirable was actually formed around a core fear and a wound from his past. So how many of the virtuous personality traits that we each have and that we admire in other people are rooted and shaped by our fears and our wounds? Now, is that a problem? Does it, does it matter that actually the personality that I have might have a story behind it that might be layered with all kinds of experiences and wounds? It can be problematic. It can also be admirable and lovely. We started out with the song, we live in a beautiful, messed up world. And we are beautiful, messed up people. There are parts of us that are messy. We all have a story behind how we've become the person we've become. And there are consequences of that that mean that we can function in the world in a certain way. But also, that can be problematic at certain points. So, pointing and calling. Are you aware of the personality that you have? Are you aware and conscious of how you operate in the world and what your recurring habits are and what your tendencies are? Or do you just go through life on autopilot thinking, my way or the highway, this is just who I am. What is it Lady Gaga said? I was just born this way. This is how I am. Now, my core fear is quite similar to Jim Carrey's. Um, I think my core fear is being worthless or being a disappointment. So I can see in my life times where I grew up in a context, actually, where um, my dad was a farmer and his farm was owned by a really wealthy landowner. Um, the agreement we had, which also included the house we lived in, and the whole farm that we worked on was dependent on a one-year verbal agreement. Now, that one-year verbal agreement has been going now for 39 years. So there was no contract. It was just a verbal relationship. Now, whilst that might, be, might sound cool, part of the reality that I've become conscious I grew up in is we've got to keep this guy happy. Like, if we don't do everything that is required to sustain that relationship, then... We could lose our house. We, we could have lost everything. Um, I've then become conscious that sometimes the way I operate in the world is the pearl that has been formed around 
that circumstance, that experience, and potentially some other wounds related to that. So often, what people might admire about me is, oh, Danny just he doesn't complain, he just gets on with things, and, and he just gets things done. And I try and do, I, I notice myself doing lots of things that I want to impress people and to appear admirable. And the reason why I still have that personality is because it's worked for me in certain ways. But it can also be problematic because I can get completely exhausted by just juggling a million things that I feel I'm trying to do. I can also be quite false sometimes because I'm just trying to please people rather than being authentic. So that's part of my pearl of personality that, um, that can be beautiful and precious, but can also be problematic for me and also for other people. Uh, so one of the things I want to just close with is give you another point and call opportunity. We focused a little bit on the pearl of personality. The world is our oyster because it's sometimes the place in which our personalities are formed. I want you to just consider on your pearl. Now you can keep this to yourself, you can pop it up here if you want to. A couple of words that describe the pearl of your personality. What are you like? And maybe even where that came from. Now you could put on some of the precious things that are lovely about your personality and also maybe some of the problematic things. Are you conscious of that? This is our opportunity to point and call at it um, and at least become a little more consciously aware of it. I'll just give you two minutes to do that and then we're going to fall to a close. Okay, thanks for listening this morning. I hope it has been helpful. I just want to close with one thought and then I'm just going to hand over to Joel. Um, pearls can come in all kinds of different colours. The reason that they come in different colours is there's a few different factors, but one of them is what they feed on. So I wonder what you are feeding yourselves on because that is going to influence the pearl of your personality and who you become. Who uses social media? If you are a consumer of social media, you literally have a social media feed. You are literally feeding on stuff. Now, how you engage with that stuff, if you're not aware, there is an algorithm, which is essentially a little piece of software, that figures out what, you're, what you like, what you're into, what you engage with, and it will feed you more and more of that. There are literally people called influencers who earn a lot of money by influencing us and feeding us certain things. So just one practical thing to take home today. You are going to shape yourself by what you feed on. So be conscious of what you are feeding on. Feed yourself on stuff that is actually going to produce the kind of pearl that you want. Just consider today, what's my social media feed? What am I actually engaging with? Engage with stuff that is going to feed you to become the person you want. So, I'm going to finish with a question. How is the world your oyster? There's a few different ways we've explored this morning. How we're formed as people. What it requires to actually become the person we want to become. Um, so, have a think about that this week. Take it away. Joel, I'm going to hand over to you to close, and then we've got some. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Thanks for those thoughts. It's been great, hasn't it? Some really good things to think about. Um, before I just uh, end with a few closing thoughts, we talk a lot about the pearl, but does anybody eat oysters? That's the best part, isn't it? People always say to me, I chew them. Because to me, you know, when you're paying that much money to swallow them, I think it's offensive. Oh. It's like, just absolutely awesome. Anyway, I was thinking when I was talking to Danny this week, um, when we used to travel on holiday uh, when I was younger to America, 
Every year we used to go to these little shacks that had giant buckets of oysters. Um, and basically you'd, go, you'd rummage through and you'd pick the one that you wanted with the idea that they'd crack it open and you'd see what, you would, what the pearl would be. And there'd be many different types of jewelry and things that you could set it in afterwards. And um, they used to be run by like, um, like Hawaiian, Hawaiian ladies. Um, it's like a cultural thing out there. And they had this giant bell, right? <clears throat> And what they'd do, there'd be loads of people gathered around and you'd pick the pearl and they'd pull it out. And what they'd do is they'd put it on the surface and they'd all shout, one, two, three, aloha. <laughs> and then they'd ring the bell really loud. I don't, they didn't dance like that, but I just kind of thought that, that went with it. And what was really amazing is then everyone would start cheering before the um, oyster had even been opened. And everyone would get closer and closer around to see like what was going to be revealed. And it was like a really exciting process. And then, of course, they'd pull out this giant kind of, obviously not a sword, but this giant kind of um, hacking tool. And then until finally, sometimes it was really difficult to get in. Until then, they'd open it up and then they'd move aside the oyster. Sometimes they really had to search, depending on how big the pearl was, and then it would be revealed. And in the years that we did it, we had white ones, we had blue ones, we had black ones. And of course, then you decide how you wanted to set um, this pearl. Now, why am I saying this? There's a couple of points. For me, when I wrote on the thing, I don't know whether it was brought up here, um, when you were asked about the pearl, I wrote, I am the pearl. To me, I am the pearl. And when you started talking about um, the sword, right, it just spoke to me because, um, first of all, I thought the word is sharper than the sword. Um, but then we also know that the word became flesh. And then Jesus, who was flesh, said, I have come that you might have life. Um, he says, go let your light shine. And then the other scripture that really spoke out to me was, don't think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. And I think it's incredible that often what we're looking for out there is actually what we're trying to find in here. So I think when we talk about the world is your oyster, you are the world the oyster, we are the world, we are, you know, we, there's the song. Um, I think that far too many a time we're looking out rather than looking in. And actually the pearl that we should be refining is within ourselves. I don't know whether that's an encouragement to you, uh, but the very thing that you're searching for is, is within you. And it's that same thing you said about, yeah, gods, the kingdom is within you. So for me, just the celebration where everybody clapped, what I feel that Q is, is the place where we allow the sword and the pressure and the lessons and the ideas that sometimes bring, uh, what's the word? Um, yeah, pressure really that brings all the stuff to the surface. What that then does is it helps you reveal your inner pearl and hopefully the idea of this community is that we all cheer as that pearl is revealed. So I'll let that be an encouragement and I'll finish with this, uh, this song. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>